my name is Mike Booth, and I want to thank you for tuning into Risen Fellowship's podcast here, and we're beginning a new study today, and it's called The Twelve, and this is about the Twelve Minor Prophets, the last twelve books of the Old Testament before we move into the New Testament. Now, they are called Minor Prophets, and they're not minor in the sense of being less important than the major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Their messages are just as important uh, in the God's program, uh, program of prophecy as the others. The Hebrew Bible is the one that simply refers to them as the Twelve, and Bible students call them the Minor Prophets, mainly because of the brevity of their writings. Although Zechariah, uh, one of these Twelve, is by no means brief or simple to understand. But for many people these days, these writings are so foreign to them that they get lost in all the names of the people, places, and kingdoms. Other than the name Jonah, the prophets that we see in this are, very, are not very familiar to many of the people. But as we walk through these 12 minor prophets, I hope and pray that the names uh, of these people, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah, then Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi will become more familiar to you. And those are the names of the places that you read through as we go through these prophets. There's about Israel and, and Samaria and Judah and Jerusalem and Nineveh and Babylon. You know, some of those are familiar to you if you've read it all through the Old Testament. But then you come across names of places like Edom and Gaza and Moab and Ephraim. And so you get lost with all the names. And then there's also the names of the kings. And there's the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Some of them have the similar names, but they're not the same people. But there's names like Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah and Zerubbabel. Who are these people? and Where do they fit in to the picture of what God is doing in the life of Israel to prepare for Messiah to come? And then in Zechariah, you find Joshua as the high priest. Now, we know that there's no way possible that this would still be the same Joshua that succeeded Moses in leading the people of Israel into the promised land. But who in the world is this Joshua that's now high priest in Zechariah? And all these names of people and places seem like thousand pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And they're very difficult to see how they link together. But if we spend some time in devotion in the 12, I really hope and pray that these pieces start to fit together and they come together and the picture becomes clearer and more understandable and makes sense to you. So in our introduction today, let's just go through a brief history of the nation of Israel. So we'll have a framework as we put and look at each one of these 12 and their writings. First, we have the patriarchal period, and that was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And that was basically from 2100 B.C. to about 1875 B.C., which was followed by the Egyptian period, which was about 430 years. That lasted to about 1450 B.C. And then came the Exodus from Egypt, and that was about 1447, what, one of the accepted dates of the Exodus. And that was followed by the wilderness period of the 40 years that the Israelites spent wandering in the wilderness. That lasted about 1407. And then came the conquest of, of Canaan. That's when Joshua, the military leader, the one who succeeded Moses, led the nation into the promised land and for seven years was driving out the people that God was removing so that Israel could have their home. And once they established their homes came the period of the judges. And this was approximately from uh, 1360 to uh, 1084 B.C. And the period of the judges was a reoccurring cycle. It was a time where the nation would go through spiritual decline. And because of that decline, God would send oppression. And when the oppression came, the people would repent and then God would deliver. And he would do that by sending a judge. 
not like our Supreme Court judges today, but it was one that was a deliverer, a savior that would come and lead the people against the oppression and get their freedom. And as soon as they got their freedom, they would again go into spiritual decline and that cycle would begin all over again. But near the end of this period, uh, hope emerged uh, with a heroic saga of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, which demonstrate that there were faithful Israelites who remained loyal to their covenant Lord when most of the Israelites were unfaithful. Now, the last of the judges was Samuel, and he was a Benjaminite whose mother dedicated him to the Lord even before he was born. And he was raised by the priest Eli, and literally Samuel became priest when, and judge when God removed Eli and his family because of their unfaithfulness. And the period of the judges was followed by a time of a united monarchy. And that was basically uh, from 1051 to 931. And that was under three great kings, King Saul, uh, King David, and then King David's son, King Solomon. And that uh, period of time was followed by the divided monarchy. And that was in a time from about 931 to 586 uh, B.C. But in 931, ten tribes, which are often going to be referred to in the writings as the Northern Kingdom, are also known as Israel. They took the name Israel and then sometimes called Ephraim because that was its most influential tribe, broke away from the southern kingdom, which the capital would be Jerusalem. And it only left two tribes right there surrounding Jerusalem. That was Judah and Benjamin. And so that southern kingdom became known as Judah. So there's different names, Israel, Ephraim, Samaria. They cause confusion to many readers. And some people ask, why in the world can't there just be one name for all these places and make everything simple? But I mean, even look at our own world and even our own country today. We are known as the United States of America. But when some people are talking about us, they'll talk about the whole United States by referring to the capital, Washington, D.C. Just like some people refer to Russia and say, well, Moscow did this. And that meant the whole nation of Moscow, a uh, whole nation of Russia under Moscow was doing this. And so you have Samaria as the capital of the north, the Israel kingdom. And then you have Jerusalem, uh, the capital of the southern kingdom known as Judah. And even in our own civil war in 1860, we had a north and south. While the north was the United States of America, again, with the capital being Washington, D.C., and the south had their uh, Confederate States of America with its capital mainly in Richland, uh, Richmond, Virginia. Now, the first king of Israel that broke away from Judah led the people, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, immediately into idolatry. And every king that followed the first king of, of Israel literally was considered to have done evil in the eyes of God. Uh, but during the divided kingdom, uh, even many of Judah's kings uh, did evil also, including Solomon, who was led away from the worship of the true one God under the influence of his many wives that caused him to begin to worship other gods. But in Judah, the southern kingdom, there were a few good kings that always would bring about reform during the spiritual decline of the nation. There was Joash, the child king, also known as Jehoas, Ash, and then Hezekiah and Josiah. Now, the northern kingdom, after they had broke away in 722, they were defeated by the Assyrian nations, and they were literally deported from their nation of, of Israel. But the few poor people that were left were there to intermingle with other people that the Assyrians imported into that deal. And during that time of Israel's decline, there were four great prophets, Amos, Hosea, Micah, and even Isaiah. And even though Jonah was a part of that northern kingdom, 
Jonah was really, in the book of Jonah, was about God calling that prophet to go to Nineveh and preach to the capital of Assyria. But that was all prophesied about the downfall and the capture of Israel by the Assyrians in 722. Now, the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, was led into exile by the Babylonian Empire. And there were three major deportations. One of them was in 605 B.C., in which uh, David, uh, Daniel excuse me, and his three friends were taken to Babylon from Jerusalem. But even a hundred years before Judah fell to uh, the Babylonian Empire, Isaiah, the greatest prophet during his era, predicted Judah's fall, as did well the prophets of Micah and Zephaniah and Jeremiah and Hezekiah. They all predicted that Judah would fall. And they fell to Babylon, and uh, basically 586 was the destruction of Jerusalem. But Babylon only ruled for a very brief time in consideration to the links of the other empires that lasted during that time. And Babylon fell to her former ally, the Medes and the Persians. And that king uh, of the Medes, Cyrus, uh, allowed in 537 B.C. the Jewish people to be able to return to Jerusalem to rebuild its city, its walls, and its temple. And during that time, there was a measure of autonomy that existed throughout this period for the Israelites. It's called the post-exilic period. And that was an Old Testament era that really ended at about 400 B.C. And that ministry uh, during that time uh, was through the prophet Malachi. Now, let me try to group these prophets together as contemporaries so it can kind of begin to make a little clearer picture. But I, before I do this, I want to note that uh, the datings of these men and their ministries and their writings are heavily debated. So what I put out before you, uh, you can probably find materials that would differ considerably from what I'm saying to you, but you have to keep in mind nobody knows completely for sure, but we have a pretty good idea of what they are. For example, the one chapter book of Obadiah has at least five different uh, times in which people think that it might have been written. Uh, and then some may even wonder, well, where does Elijah and Elisha fit into the list and the timeline of the prophets? Well, they both ministered to the northern kingdom, Israel, between 900 and 800 B.C., and neither one of them contributed a book to the Bible, even though many of their sayings and their teachings are recorded for us in the, uh, the Samuel, in the Kings, and in the Chronicles. Uh, it's important to recognize that as we talk about prophets, these prophets weren't the regular teachers for God's word, for God's people. No, that was the calling of the priests. They were the one that were the regular teachers. God would raise up prophets for particular times in the Old Testament story, which is why when you see a prophet, you want to understand what their call was all about. Just like in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6 talks about how the Lord called him into service. Always look and try to understand how God called these men up at a specific time in history for a specific purpose. Now, these prophetic books originated really because of the decline of the kingdoms of both Israel and Judah, and at the same time, the rise of the Assyrian Empire. And after Assyria destroyed Israel in 722, and it left only Judah, the southern kingdom, which was just a remnant now of uh, the kingdom that David had established. So you had prophets that God was raising up. And the 8th century prophets were Hosea, Amos, and Joel. And Hosea and Amos condemned the social injustice that was going on in the nation of Israel, fueled by disobeying God's word. And they also warned of the nation's future judgment in the day of the Lord. But after the judgment of their sins, there would always be a promise. Jonah now was that re reluctant preacher that went on to Nineveh, uh, the capital of Assyria, 
and, and preached to them, which most of the Israelites hated. And Isaiah wrote some of the Bible's richest promises of a future Savior, savior and His kingdom. Micah ministered near to the near the end of that near the end of that century, and he overlapped it with Isaiah. And he also was rebuking Judah for its personal and societal sins, predicting God's victory over Assyria, who God was going to use them as a punishment. Micah also promised that there would be a leader born that would be born in Bethlehem that would defeat all of God's enemies. That's in Micah chapter 5 and was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. One of the things I hope to do as we go through the 12 uh, books of the minor prophets is to be able to look where they are quoted in the New Testament. Then you have the 7th century prophets who wrote against the background of the continuing power but the ultimate demise of Assyria as an empire which lost its power to Babylon in 612 B.C. There's Zephaniah. Zephaniah criticized Judah's worship of other gods and warned of judgment but also of a promised renewal after that judgment. Nahum announced the end of Assyria's tyranny long before it happened, and Habakkuk foretold of the days leading up to Babylon's capture of Jerusalem. Jeremiah also worked in this century and well into the next, preaching God's word of repentance for Judah for at least 40 years. And there was plenty of time for the people of Judah to repent, to be able to avoid their punishment. But in 587, it was too late. Jerusalem was destroyed and most of the people that were left there were exiled. And Jeremiah repeatedly preached repentance. Yet his most famous words are of a promise of a future new covenant with the house of Israel. And this is more speaking of Israel in the entirety as a united kingdom that Jews from all over the world would be able to enter into this new covenant, not a covenant made, written by words on, on stone, but written on their hearts. And that's in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Then you have the 6th century prophets who lived under the shadow of the exile. That's Daniel and Ezekiel. They were both in Babylon and they were prophesying about perilous times, but also the future glory that would happen in God's people. And Obadiah witnessed many of the terrors that Babylon uh, did in invasion of Judah in 587. And then the prophets Haggai and Zechariah were among the people who were allowed to return to Jerusalem after 537 with the decree of Silas and were basically there in about 520 to 516 B.C. And they participated with all the people there in rebuilding the temple and also looking forward to that future glory of God's people that would be led under the leadership of Messiah. And then finally, Malachi, who was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah, who were leaders of Israel, but not prophets, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah from basically 460 to 425 B.C. And they uh, all experienced these problems associated with rebuilding Jerusalem and restoring faithful worship and obedience to God's Word. Now, he identified the returned exile's flaws to being committed to God by insincere worship, the failure of priests to teach God's Word faithfully, uh, the marital infidelity, among other things. Micah also foretold of the coming of a new Elijah and of the Messiah in his book, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Now, the book of Joel may well have been written during this period, but because the, because the prophet makes no mention of any king in Judah, Joel calls the people to rep uh, repentance at a time of a national calamity, and that was a locust plague that ate up all the vegetation off the face of the earth. 
But now I want to close today in our introduction with just unifying themes that are there in the prophets that are beneficial not only for the day, uh, the people of the day that they were written in, but even for us today as we try to read them and understand and apply them to our lives. The first uh, theme is that the prophets assert that God has spoken through them. Now, the prophets declared God's instruction basically in two different ways, through word and through symbol. And usually the prophets presented God's word orally and then sometimes in written form. Occasionally, they would perform symbolic acts that would demonstrate God's purposes. And of course, the saddest case of the symbolic prophecy was Hosea, which will be our first study that we look at at our next podcast, about Hosea's marriage to his unfaithful wife, Gomer. And that literally portrayed God's relationship with his nation, Israel, who was unfaithful to him. So the prophets assert that God had spoken through them. The second unifying theme is this, that the prophets affirm that God chose Israel for a covenant relationships. The prophets addressed Israel as a people with special responsibilities based upon that special relationship that they were called to uh, by God's grace. And then the third theme is sadly that the prophets most often uh, reported that the majority of the Israelites had sinned against God and His standards in their relationship. They had failed to trust God. They had failed to obey the Ten Commandments. They had begun to worship other gods. They had mistreated one another and they failed to preserve justice among God's people and they refused to repent of those things. And of course, God always even in the failure of the vast majority, God always has a faithful minority, which is always referred to in the Bible as the remnant. And the fourth theme is this. The prophets warned that judgment would eradicate the sin. This judgment, which is often referred to in the prophets as the day of the Lord, as seen in Isaiah, Joel, Zephaniah, and Amos. This is a day in history. This is the day when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, but it's also a day that would come when God will judge all of the world's inhabitants, just like he judged the nation Israel in that day. The prophet recorded these warnings in writing so readers uh, could uh, do what the original audience was challenged to do, but they failed to do, and that was to turn from God and to turn, uh, turn from sin and turn back to God. And then the fifth and final unifying theme of the prophets is the prophets promised uh, that renewed, uh, renewal uh, lies beyond the day of punishment that has already occurred in history and beyond the coming day that will bring uh, forth one day in history, as we know, will bring all of history to a close. Messiah will come and rule Israel and the other nations, bringing peace and righteousness to the world. The first time he came, he suffered. He suffered for our sins. He literally died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, but then God raised him from the grave. And God gave to him at that time all the kingdoms of the world. And if you'll remember, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he told Jesus one time, if you would just bow down and worship me, I would give you the kingdoms of the world. Now the temptation is the Lord to try to get something good in the wrong way. And Jesus would have nothing of it. He waited for his Father in heaven to give him the kingdoms. And the Father presented him as the ruler of the kingdoms when God raised him from the dead after Jesus offered himself as the supreme and the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And now is the time 
when not only Jews, but also Gentiles can come and enter into a brand new covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Eventually, Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come back again and He will cleanse the world of sin and He will recreate the earth as Isaiah chapter 65 and 66 talk about and Zephaniah chapter 3. The creation now is spoiled by sin, but one day will be made whole again. Just as uh, Paul wrote in chapter 8, the whole creation today uh, groans under the penalty of sin. But when Messiah comes back and recreates this heaven and earth, it will be cleansed and it will be perfect. Now these minor prophets are not just history or just for God's people in the Old Testament. They're for every one of us today. And they call each and every one of us to repentance of our sin, calls us to obedience to God's word and to a promise of the future. Living for today by confessing our sins and holding on to the promise of eternity because of Jesus Christ. So that's the introduction to the 12. And as I said, our next podcast will begin with that first book, Hosea. I hope and pray you'll watch for that and join us as we begin our walk through the 12. God bless you and have a very good day in Jesus Christ.